the Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Those are verses 46 to 50 of Psalm 18, verses 21 to 50, of which are the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, August the 25th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're looking at, uh, continuing our look at the book of Job today in the eighth chapter, the first 10 verses, and then skip forward to verses 20 to 22. This is one of the other, quote, friends of Job will be making his appearance. In the gospel, we're in John 17, or 7, sorry, John 7, 14 to 36, and then in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, verses 17 to 33. <clears throat> so, the, we've heard from Eliphaz, the Temanite, now we're going to get Bildad, the Shuite, answering Job's statements that, that he wished he had never been born and life is a misery. <clears throat> he says, how long will you say these things, and the words of your mouth be a great wind? How long are you going to keep just spouting nonsense, Job, and keep saying these things that are offensive? Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. I mean, his children are dead. They were killed. Not because they had sinned, not that at all. It's it's unbelievable that these people are friends, and these are the things they're going to say. If your children have sinned against him, he's delivered them into the hand of the transgression. If you'll seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you're pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and sh- restore your rightful habitation. In other words, you know, hey, Job, you're not all that. Obviously, you're not all that, because if you were, the Lord would restore you and put you where you belong. And although your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. And it and they are. And this was the day of small things, right? Because all he has is life. And beginning from there, Job can now become truly thankful for all that he gets because everything comes from the hand of the Lord. He's always known this. It's not that Job didn't understand this. It's just maybe in his prosperity, he, he misunderstood other things. <clears throat> For inquire, please, of bygone ages, and consider what the fathers have searched out. For we're but of yesterday, and know nothing. In other words, we just got here. How could we possibly know anything? Wisdom is going to come from studying the ancient sources. Our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words of their understanding? Behold, God will not reject a blameless man, nor take the hand of evildoers. He'll not. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the tent of the wicked will be no more. And so there's a promise in the words of Bildad that that things will go better for you, Job. The Lord's going to restore these things to you. Um, but the suggestion is is that it, that he would have already done so if you didn't have some sin in your life that needed to be dealt with. As soon as you do that, he'll give you everything back. You'll, you'll get it. You'll get everything. It's, it's health and wealth. That's how this works. Um, th- this, is, this is obviously punishment for sin. It's, it's a karma 
sort of a, an idea that that if you put bad things out into the world and things are, bad things are going to come back to you and so that must be what has happened here there's no other explanation for it well there is there's a there's a completely different explanation for it and, and God's correcting theology, I believe, always in these things. And the correcting of the theology is what is good, what is evil, right? Because we make these preliminary judgments on things, and so we decide, oh, this is evil because it affects me in a way that makes me um, unhappy. So we've got to get that corrected, and we have to get around the idea of that that bad things happen simply because, well, you sinned. No, bad things can happen to me because somebody sinned against me, too. Bad things can happen just by breathing air on this planet. That's the way it is. It's a world of injustice. We don't see the ultimate justice until the end of all things when Jesus returns. And so it, it's, it, there's, there's always been a belief in this sort of one-to-one correspondence between the more righteous I am, the greater I'll be blessed. And Jesus says, they're going to persecute you for righteousness' sake. Once you show them what true righteousness is, they, they're not going to like it. And they're going to come after you. That's Jesus's promise for us. So how we buy into the health and wealth gospel, I have no earthly idea. In the gospel today, remember Jesus had said that he wasn't going to go up for the feast. It's the Feast of Booths. And he wasn't going to go up for that to Jerusalem. Um, his brothers tried to provoke him to go. And then he, he decided to go, but only quietly. But at the middle of the feast, he went up into the temple and began teaching. So he observed everything, and then he begins to teach. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? He didn't study with any of the great rabbis. I mean, we've heard this story about maybe when he was 12 years old, and he confounded the rabbis. And But but here, now, what do you mean? Uh, who is this guy? It's amazing the things he knows since he never sat at the feet of the rabbis. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And that's the... The thing that, the way that you did rabbinic teaching was is that you started from your rabbi, and then you went from there. So your teaching, you, you were taught to think a certain way, and you could be creative within the boundaries of that. Your, your interpretations had to, to line up at some level, even if they deviated. You had to be able to say, the logic behind where I am today is rabbi so-and-so. And this is how I got here. So based on what he said, then I'm saying this. And you're, you're, you're expanding that teaching. You're, you're um, making it broader or elucidating on it. I don't mean broader in the sense of um, more um, open and less restrictive. I just mean that, that there, there, there's another interpretation here. There's something else that I need to consider. And so when Jesus says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me, that's a, that's a great rabbinic thing. But sent, being sent is a little bit odd. That, that wouldn't be typically how you would say that if you were coming from a rabbi. But Jesus is pointing to the fact that, that he learned everything from the one who sent him to do this stuff. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he'll know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. In other words, if your intentions are right, then you'll understand and you'll know that this is from God. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there's no falsehood. So as long as I'm self-seeking, then you'd have to measure what I'm saying based on what you know, which is that, that I'm self-seeking. <laughs> and so you'd have to measure it based on that. You'd have to be able to look and say, well, okay, so why is he teaching that? 
What, why is that his thing? Well, it's because I'm seeking something. And Jesus said, if I seek the glory of the one who sent him, then you can trust me. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? That's, wow, that came out of the blue. That came completely out of the blue. <clears throat> the crowds answered him, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? I mean, it, it was such an abrupt transition to, why do you seek to kill me? That, that I'm sure that's the reason they suggested he had a demon is because, wow, that just, that came out of nowhere. <clears throat> Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. That was the healing of the, the man at the pool of Bethsaida, where he told to rise up and walk and take up his bed and walk on the Sabbath. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, because it goes all the way back to Abraham, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath, right? I mean, you, you break the law of doing no work in order to fulfill the law of circumcision. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Isn't this the man whom they seek to kill? Yeah, that's what he was pointing at earlier, and he got your attention, didn't it? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So they're, they're beginning to question, because he's allowed to speak here in the temple, if maybe the leaders have come to a conclusion about Jesus that he is indeed the Christ. And if he is, then they're not going to try and stop him from teaching here. That's not the case. He just came up and, and began to teach at this point. And, but, but they go back and they default to the thing that they know. We can't believe that, that he's the Christ, even if the leaders believe he's the Christ. We can't believe that because we know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I came from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. I mean, these are certainly confusing things that Jesus is saying, because for, to say to the Jews that they don't know the one who sent him, they, they have to know what he's referring to. There's no question that he's referring to, to uh, the Father in heaven. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So it's not here that they're afraid of the people. It's that, it, that God stayed their hand. His time had not yet come. So even if they wanted to arrest him, they wouldn't be able to because the Lord's protecting him in this. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? I mean, they're at least believing the right things at this point. They're at least measuring with a, with a good measure and judging with right judgment. You're judging it based on the things that you see, the things that he's doing. You don't default back to, well, there's this one piece of things here about where he comes from that, that I'm going to allow to override everything else. So some of the people, many of the people, it says, believed in him. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You'll seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you'll seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. I mean, they're, they're totally confused by everything that Jesus has said here. And rightfully so. 
I mean, just to be honest with you, what he's talking about, where he's going to go, where they can't follow him and, and they can't find him and all these things, it, it just feels so um, ephemeral that you can't lay hands on it. And, and he's not giving you enough information for you to be able to even figure out what he's talking about. Now, we know in retrospect, but you can imagine at the time how confused these people would have been because they claim to know where he came from. And now he's saying, you don't know where I came from and you don't know where I'm going and you can't follow me there and you don't know the one who sent me. I mean, he he has really been um, forceful in this teaching. And and the question becomes, what provoked all this? Why did he do this teaching at this time for the for the feast of booths and, and it's because that they know where they came from they believe where they came from but they're confused about where they are and where they're going because they've been taught badly and they've been taught wrongly they've misinterpreted and misapplied the law and and the understanding of why it even exists they become slaves to tradition they become slaves to 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 the law itself um, and the Pharisaic interpretation of the law, and a rabbinic interpretation of the law. And so they, they need to be set free. They need to be set free to have the Spirit dwell in them so that they're not following every teacher around, so that they're not choosing their teachers based on whether they agree with them in the law or not. They will know. We will all know how to apply these things. Now, it doesn't mean we don't need one another in that, because the, God speaks to His people through His people. The Holy Spirit operating in me can speak to you, and you can speak to me in the same way, and I can learn from you. <clears throat> in the Acts lesson today, Peter inwardly perplexed by what the vision that he had seen might mean, and, and that vision was, remember, the heavens were opened, a great sheet came down b- with all kinds of animals and reptiles and, and uh, birds of the air, and, and said, go, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, I, I don't eat unclean things, and God said, don't call things common or unclean that I've made clean. And so it he was waiting on his lunch, remember? <laughs> remember. So, t- you know, I-, I can see why he would be inwardly perplexed about this particular vision. So while he was perplexed, behold, the men sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I've sent them. Well, so he's still pondering this vision, and he, he's, he's not coming up with answers, I'm sure, as to what in the world that might have meant, and even whether it was from God. And then he gets a very direct word, hey, there's three guys downstairs waiting on you, go with them. Oh, okay, cool, I can do that. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man. So God-fearing had a, had a very specific content. It meant that he was a guy who believed in Yahweh and who was seeking after that, but had not become a convert by circumcision. So he's, a, he's an upright and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. He was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house, his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited the men to be his guests. Peter invited these men in to be his guests at the home of Simon the Tanner. So it would have been quite surprising to Peter that an angel, which is far holier than than he is, for instance, has appeared to this Gentile, this Roman soldier. That would have been one odd thing that he heard in all this. It was a holy angel that came to him. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa, where he was, accompanied him. And on the following day, so it took it was a two-day journey, they get to Caesarea. 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends, so he's bringing his family around. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. Now it would have been quite strange for a Roman centurion to fall at your feet to worship you. Um, but it, but he felt like uh, Cornelius did. This shows that he, he, he fears God because he sees Peter as a messenger of God sent to come and bring him a word. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. So Peter says, You know, this is an unusual thing. You, you know, because you're God-fearing people, you know that, that it's not okay under the law for me to come here and, and be with you. And he, what he, But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So he is now interpreting the vision in light of the second vision, in light of his circumstances, where God has taken him. He's, he's now able to interpret this little vision that he had about clean and common and unclean. Because now he sees, ah, it applies to this, to coming into this home of these Gentiles, because God told me to go with them. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. It's exactly the same thing he asked the, the people that came for him. What's the reason for your coming? And now and they said, okay, it's because Cornelius had a vision and, and was told to send for you. And now he's saying, okay, I'm here, so why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, so three o'clock in the afternoon, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. So we expect you to preach something and to teach something to us because this angel had me send for you. So that, that's all I know. I was to send for you, and I'm assuming because I had that vision that, that you have something to give me. You have some wisdom to impart to me. There's something I'm supposed to learn from you. All right, so then we can move on with that, right? I mean, so everybody's clear here. God gave me a vision that said I should come here, and now I understand why. He gave me the first vision about go and kill and eat, and and. Cornelius is like, yep, I was supposed to send for you, and, and I presume because God gave me through an angel a vision and, and your name that there's some purpose for you being here. You have something to offer. And I think that's the thing that, that we need to do. Sometimes we need to understand that obedience is the first step. It's to humble ourselves before the word of the Lord and allow it to speak to us, allow, uh, uh, set aside everything we think we know in order that we can receive it fresh every day. That's an important part of what it means to read the Word well, is what's it saying to me today? It's not that I'm so familiar with this that it can't continue to speak to me. No, it's I need to lay aside all the other stuff in my life in order to be able to hear Him clearly, because the Gospel tells us about a different kingdom and a different way of life and a different set of expectations from what the world wants us to have. And so when we hear these kinds of things, sometimes we can be confused by something God tells us, and then it, the, the fulfillment and the understanding awaits 
something else. But we needed to know that in order to walk in obedience in the beginning. And then if we walk in obedience, the other things will become clear to us. It's it's incumbent on us to always be humble before the Word of God, to be humble before the cross of Christ, to be humble when we when we pronounce judgments on things. We've, we need to judge with a right judgment, and that means we need to allow the Holy Spirit within us to teach us, lead us, and guide us into all truth. We can make... We can have bad theology that we're not even aware of, sort of like Job and his friends did, that this belief in karma of, you know, you do good things, then good things will happen. Um, there's, there's some truth in that, but, but there's no one-to-one correspondence in that. Um, and, and we have to be careful to make sure that we're not allowing worldly systems into the way that we understand the gospel and the way that we share the gospel with other people. It, just be humble when we come to the word of the Lord, to make sure that, that we are hearing it with kingdom ears and seeing it with kingdom eyes, rather than having it be wish fulfillment for our earthly desires.